the, the future, in my view, the future of making sure that this agreement works is inclusivity. If we have small medium enterprises, which we know are the drivers of Africa's economy, uh, creating over uh, 400 million jobs uh, in Africa, uh, creating um, millions and millions of opportunities for young people, and of course contributing uh, over 60% to, to Africa's GDP, that is where um, I believe we will succeed, is if um, the, the private sector in Africa, small medium enterprises are the pillars for uh, implementation of a, a trade agreement, then we have an opportunity, a very unique opportunity, to really transform the quality trade agreements and who they benefit, uh, and globalization and who globalization benefits, uh, so that we have a, a truly inclusive trade uh, uh, arrangement where the benefits accrue to all, not just large corporations, and don't get me wrong, they have to benefit, but we must, at the very fore, put uh, small medium enterprises and young entrepreneurs. The, the thing I'd say is thank you, Secretary General, for your, for your comments. I just want to start with a quick story. So uh, you thank the MasterCard Foundation for hosting, which is wonderful. I sit on the board of the MasterCard Foundation um, as the corporate representative. Something you need to know about the MasterCard Foundation is that it is the largest shareholder in MasterCard. When MasterCard went public as a company, we uh, designated 10% of our stock to create the MasterCard Foundation. The MasterCard Foundation today is valued at around $40 billion. It is completely focused on Africa. Um, so we have been in Africa for a, a, over a decade, working on building the infrastructure that one needs in order to absorb private sector capital. We talked about um, the need for the continent to realize the power of the infrastructure that already created across the countries around things like AIDS and malaria and HIV to you adapt that infrastructure for COVID. But then we also talked about the fact that there is an incredible need, but also incredible opportunity because of the trade agreement to actually build the healthcare infrastructure in a way that could um, progress across all of the, the countries. So we worked very quickly and over the course of days to create a billion dollar commitment um, to work on COVID specifically, but with the notion of thinking of the short-term needs around COVID response, but then the longer-term needs, longer needs of building out an entire healthcare infrastructure. So we started to work together as partners with people around the table on the healthcare side, and then quickly have progressed to the trade side. That's the work that philanthropy can do. On, they can move quickly if you if you let it. It can uh, build the the infrastructure, the trust, the um, the partnerships that are necessary in order for business to thrive. The thing that I really liked about what the Secretary General said is that uh, you have to have the trust. So I work at a company where you trust that if you buy something, you're going to get something in return, and you may or may not know that person. And if you don't like that thing, you can return that thing and you get your money back. That seems like a very simple process, but all of the work that goes in behind that is massive. So I guess what I, my biggest response would be that the opportunity, and some people say the devil, but I say the angel is in the details. And that's where you need to work. If you're working for a company, that's where you need to bring together your philanthropic side of the house with your business side of the house 
to say, as a company, as an investor, as a partner on the continent, we are going to bring the best of our company, including your social impact, your environmental impact, your inclusion work, along with your business assets, to the best of Africa. Thank you. I love the injuries in the detail. I'm going to steal that. I'll quote you. I'll quote you. Um, brilliant. Um, Dominique, you have a lot of experience in uh, investment in Africa. You're very knowledgeable about it. Um, what's your sense of the perceptions and, and the appetite among international investors in Africa? You know, has talked a lot about what really the opportunities to unlock this potential are, but what's your sense? And as the FCFTA shifted and you perceptions as the yeah have you noticed any change um well thank you for having me sarah and uh, your excellency uh, a pleasure to be here speaking today as sarah mentioned i've had the uh, extreme honor of being able to invest in africa across a number of countries kenya ethiopia uh, ghana to name a few and have had the privilege to create tens of thousands of direct jobs over several thousand in kenya um and almost several thousand in in, in ethiopia exporting garments, interestingly, under a goer to the US, uh, but generating hundreds of millions of dollars worth of exports and equitable jobs, equitable investments, jobs that made differences to the community and continue to do so. But it wasn't without challenges. And one of the reasons that we were so committed to Kenya uh, initially was because of its access to, to global markets and the infrastructure that it had. But it became quite clear that when we wanted to buy cotton from Tanzania, it was almost impossible. It, it, it struck me as um, very crazy that most of our raw materials were coming from China, but likely the, the, the initial raw material came from Africa. And that value constantly wasted the addition not being generated in Africa. Ultimately, ultimately what my investments were doing were creating jobs, but they weren't growing the economy or creating the prosperity that was really needed to unlock the opportunities of which was uh, within Kenya, within the region. And the AFCFTA uh, is really starting to make those opportunities come to light. We know that there have been various interventions to date. Um, uh, the, His Excellency has spoken about women traders. When the border crossing between Uganda and Kenya uh, received investment from organizations such as Trademark East Africa, it created 350,000 female cross-border traders. These are women that were not able to move their goods into Kenya or from Kenya into Uganda. But interventions, small interventions, made huge differences. But that was just one border crossing. We have, I'm not sure, it must be in the thousands that we, we must be thinking of here, but it, it has become impossible in some parts of Africa to do business with your neighbors. It strikes me as crazy that most rice in Ghana comes from Vietnam, yet Nigeria is producing uh, an excess. It's, I have a business in Ghana. We do a lot of work, or we used to do a lot of work in the likes of Benin and Togo. It was just too difficult. Now, where do the opportunities come from this? With the AFCFTA, we can actually start talking about things like just-in-time manufacturing. Organizations that have not been able to go to the continent because potentially they need access to water, but their, their customer is, is in a region where it might be quite dry. It's impossible. It, it's, it's not been able to be contemplated because the challenges of moving those goods just in time just does not exist currently in, in, in most of the continent. So the AFCFTA will bring businesses that are very reliant on, on those, those speeds, not just to market, but speeds to, to their, 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 their uh, assembly houses, to their manufacturers. And with this vision, 
which is already a reality. We're not talking about a vision that's going to become a reality. It is already happening. We're finally seeing tea from Kenya being sipped in Ghana. We're finally seeing, um, I mean, numerous examples. I, don't, I, I could be here for a long time, but the, the fact that we are shipping coffee to Italy to be roasted. Sorry, Sarah, I know you're Italian. Um, to, to be repacked as Kenko and, and shipped back to the continent. For me, it, it's, it's I, I don't want to be too strong with my words, but it, it is not right. And this, the AFCFTA is going to allow value addition to be added in Africa from electric car manufacturing all the way through to sipping uh, African coffee beans roasted in Africa across the continent of Africa. And investors are really starting to wake up. And I think the final point I'll make on your question, Sarah, is markets have stopped growing. I mean, I'm, I'm no economist, but the UK is not in great shape. The EU is pretty stagnant. I'm not sure about the US, depends on where you head to. China is becoming more and more difficult for Western businesses to trade with. So either we start buying more market share or we grow our market as industries. And the only place for businesses to go and grow their market, for me now, is Africa. And if they're not there today growing their markets, they're not going to have a market share on that continent. They need to make those equitable investments and, and, and be part of the, the, the vision and the reality, which is the AFCFTA. Thank you for your passionate plea. If that didn't you know, in, sort of entice you to go and invest in Africa, I don't know what will. Um, I'm going to open it up to everyone very shortly, but I want to welcome Minister, um, Honorable Minister um, Mulenga. Would you like to join us here? <laughs> Please, so I can introduce you properly. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, um, Honorable Chipoka Mulenga is the Minister of Commerce, Trade and Industry. Um, he oversees a, a large portfolio which includes industrialization policy, investment policy, competition and consumer protection, and standards and policy assurance, amongst other things. Um, he has a vast corporate experience in mining. And last year, his ministry launched the first ever EU Zambia Economic Forum. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Minister. Thank um, you. I have one question for you before we open to our colleagues here um, for questions and comments. Uh, we've talked about the Agenda 2063 and, of course, the AFCFTA. How do you think the agenda and, and the agreement um, will support efforts to enhance the economy of Zambia, first and foremost, and, of course, the continent more broadly? Okay. Thank you very much, and uh, I sincerely apologize for coming in late. I'm trying to get used to this weather. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, it's a very good question that you've asked, and I'll talk about Zambia and Africa as a whole. Uh, first and foremost, the African continent of free trade area, I think it is something that not only my country, but the entire African continent is looking up to resolve a number of uh, challenges that we've had as a continent. And working collectively as a one unit with a common market is something with the leadership of His Excellency here. This is something that we are very, very hopeful that uh, will address many of our concerns and challenges as how we engage with the outside community. Coming back to Zambia, our vision and hope is that to see the African continent of free trade area really fulfill its ambitions and fulfill what every other member wants to see achieved, 
we need to take care of a few things. We need to sort out the logistical challenges that Africa still experience. I was very glad when I was listening to him. Uh, sorry, you have to remind me the name again. Dominic. Oh, Dominic, yes. He talked about the logistical support that he's providing right now. I think that is very critical. Whether we like it or not, look, my country is uh, a stone throw away from Angola. But to get to Angola, first I'll either fly into Ethiopia or outside into the UAE, then get back. To move into Ghana, I have to use, I have to take two days or a day to fly into Ghana and Accra to attend meetings when His Excellency calls for them. So we need to really take care of these logistical and um, mobility challenges that we have. Then secondly, we need to overcome the communication challenges. If we are going to really make the African continent of free trade area a success, and I'm very glad that His Excellency has been very consistent on engaging each country to speak with one voice and also on a continuous basis to be interacting with one another. That will really be something that will be of uh, great importance to the realization of the dream of the African continent of free trade area. Then again, one thing that I think is uh, of great benefit to all of us, there is something that we are talking about as African countries right now industrialization and value addition for our raw materials. And time and again, I've sat in our meetings where we talk about every country wants to produce copper and develop it into finished products, rice and process it and package it, among many other things. The question is, if we all produce the same products and value addition, who will sell to who? In my opinion, with the leadership of our, His Excellency here, we need to look at our um, regional comparative advantage. Who can produce wheat for who? Who can produce copper and sell to who? Once we see where our strengths are, then we can supply and buy from the next. And it's from that background, in my opinion, I think we need now to streamline or um, segment the strengths of each country and what we can do to support the next. Once we achieve that with support from stakeholders like yourselves and others that are in here, then I think we will achieve the vision of Africa. And while we do this, this have been very consistent. There should be no big brother in this agenda. The bigger economies should be concerned about the well-being of the smaller African economies. We may not grow, all of us at the same rate, but definitely there should be equity in how we are growing as an African single market. This is very, very important. And um, lastly, I think, not really lastly, I liked it when you talked about the rules of origin. And I've been very consistent about this one and uh, I continue to engage His Excellency in his private circles. I, in agreement with what my colleague here said, the rules of origin, we need to produce, process and package in Africa if we are going to see increased productivity and become food sufficient as Africans. In excess of billions of dollars, we spend out of Africa to buy food to come back into Africa. But a time has come when we encouraged ourselves and support from stakeholders like MasterCard and the rest of the developed or first world to see that this vision is realized. There are some places and times when we have sit, sat in these meetings where we say, okay, fine, you can import sugar from a certain part of the world, package it in Zambia, and label it Zambian product, and then sell it, you say, it's, it, then it enjoys the um, concessions or privileges of an African, then I think we're cheating ourselves. 
Africa has got serious arable land. Coming back, back home to my country, this year alone, we are providing in excess of 250,000 hectares of land where we are going to specifically commit to producing wheat, soybeans, and sunflower, looking at the challenges that the world is facing right now. Already we are self-sufficient in wheat production, but we just can't produce for ourselves while we see our neighbors are having challenges because they used to import it from Ukraine and they can't do it anymore and other places. So if we can say we've got these pieces of land, let's produce more, let's process, let's package. Obviously, we can't do it on our own because we have got our own challenges, technology among other things, and that's where now we call for the international community to come in and support us. And most importantly, I think this just happened, I think, two days back when I was just looking at the holistic approach of our African continental free trade area. I must say that I think His Excellency and team have done an exceptionally good job in crafting this um, concept of the African continental free trade area. However, there is just something that I was looking at. Africa needs to come up with um, a homegrown concept of Africa. We, are, we take admiration from what we have seen in Europe. And Europe had its own concerns that they needed to address on how they can work as a collective team. And that's what Africa should also look at. What are our challenges? There are cultural challenges that we have that are different from Europe, America, and other places. The moment we address those things, it will be very easy to do trade. Because if we neglect those things, you'll find that our women will be disadvantaged in how they do business. Our young men and women, whom I've seen His Excellency is very concerned about, to see that we see them grow, to be difficult for them. The moment we just have an African concept, of course not neglecting how we interact with the rest of the world, then we'll be a better place. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. It's really energizing listening to you all. You know, you get a, a tangible sense of excitement about you know, the opportunities that the agreement opens up, and, and also the sense of commitment you know, to make sure that you know, we are there um, to make the agreement a success and really you know, realize the vision, um, the 2063 vision. Um, can I, 2036 vision, um, can I open up to everyone um, to get your comments, your reactions, your questions to the panel. Uh, we will have to finish on time. That is a hard rule <laughs> at the annual meeting. Everybody is going on to other things. But we've got about 20 minutes where we can you know, sort of uh, widen the discussion. Um, please um, sort of state your name and your affiliation as you take the floor. And I see that there is a lot of food there. So for yeah. those of you who haven't eaten, just <laughs> do feel free to come and you know, get some, some breakfast, please. And if you have a, a particular panelist you want to direct your question to, just say. Thanks very much. So Chris Cleverly, um, president of Tingo Inc. Um, we, we, we essentially have been a very domestic business in Nigeria. Um, and you know, we, we produce and help others produce over $1.2 billion worth of revenue in Nigeria and $400 million worth of profit across the agriculture sector. Um, but the question I'd like to put mainly to the panel, but mainly to, the, to your excellencies, is um, do you think there should be a positive duty of governments to purchase Africa and to purchase African things? So for example, we, we used to manufacture in uh, mobile phones in Nigeria. With COVID, we stopped. We're now buying a mobile phone company in, in South Africa. But it'd be great if, if you know, when we're manufacturing these mobile phones or whatever, that also governments in, uh, engaged in purchasing. Um, can I take 
two or three questions or comments uh, before I come back to the panel. Uh, I'm going to try and play that. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Um, oh, we have a shy audience. Um, I'm sure not. Yes, please. Thank you. I'm Matthew Stevenson from the World Economic Forum. I'm the head of investment um, in the trade investment team. We had the pleasure of working uh, with a report on a report with the AFCFTA that will be soon released. Uh, I wanted to ask, you know, Davos is famous for being um, the place where business come. Uh, and of course, it's an opportunity to engage public-private dialogue. So to the panel, especially His Excellency, what, what kind of conversations, what kind of business uh, conversations is, is he having business interest in Africa? Uh, that he can sort of share publicly um, with us here today and what kind of questions business is asking, what kind of answers he's able to provide to, to talk about the attractiveness of the investment climate in Africa. Thank you. Thank you very much, Matthew. Let's start with these two questions. Who wants to go first? Minister, would you like to go first? <coughs> Secretary General? Okay, uh, I think I didn't really get Chris's question uh, rightly, but I think I'll need him to, to repeat it. I think I just missed that one out. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that one uh, quickly. I'll bring it back home to my country. My country right now is focusing on value addition, and value addition results into industrialization. And we've got different companies that are setting up, tractor companies, assembly companies. I think it would be, I try to be very <laughs> economical with my words, but allow me to just say this. It would be folly of any government to allow setting up of any manufacturing sector, yet not support them by buying from them. The biggest buyer of, of any product is the government itself. So it's a policy that we have in my, in my country. You set up a mobile phone company, every government official must have that brand as the primary phone that they should have. Because definitely when we buy from yourself, we help you recapitalize, we help you uh, market your product, among many other things, so it's our focus. And on an African uh, basis, I think His Excellency would guide on that one. But back home in my country, definitely, we sign an off-tech agreement with yourself to say we'll support your business, come and set up here, yes. And quickly now to respond to Matthew about the investment climate in Africa. Africa, for a very long time, has been a continent where extractive industry has existed and in that same regard, resources have gone in that way. But we're trying to change the narrative. As opposed to just extracting and taking raw materials and bringing them back 10, 20 times more the price, we want that to be done even back home. That's the more reason we're talking about rules of origin. However, we understand that you all know about the opportunities that lie in our continent. But what is of utmost importance is the investment climate policies, legislation, among many other things. It's important that investors are looking at uh, political stability, investment policies, among other things. It is a more reason why now Africans are trying to legislate and make policies that will provide ease way of doing business that do not have so many red tapes and I mean, uh, bureaucracies. In my government right now, I think uh, in my country, our government is, we are going in our second year. Our first year was to establish ourselves, let our vision be understood by at people at home and outside the world. And now in the second year, what we are doing is cutting the red tapes. 
where we attract investment, which is good for our people and the investors themselves. Because we believe that whoever is going to speak good about the investment climate in my country, it's the investors themselves. So it's about providing that investment climate, which is friendly. We have got a very youthful population, which is very eager to be productive and be part of the ecosystem of development. So these are the things that we are trying to make even our people believe in the system that investors are not our enemies, but our friends. They're not there to take our resources, but to develop them with us. We've been endowed with many natural resources, but we don't know how they know how or how to develop it. So now the investors like yourselves, among others, are the ones who are partnering with us to develop that. So in short, we are partners in development. Thank you very much. Thank you, before I come to you, I know that Shamina needs to leave to go to another engagement. Do you want to share any final reflections? Particularly, I mean, we've touched on the importance of technology, and that's something that's very close to the heart. So if you have any parting words before you leave us. Yeah, I'll just say one thing. Uh, in the last, uh, on financial inclusion, which is, and again, this, my theme is the opportunities and the details, but in the last FINDEX report that measured financial inclusion around the world, um, they showed that 70% of adults around the world now have some sort of account. What that means is the ability to transact around the world has never been greater. So the opportunity for private sector investors, for companies to act as partners to build up small <coughs> and medium-sized businesses, to build up um, the, the digital infrastructure in and on the continent has never been more important. The way to do it, though, the how to do it, is by making sure that we're partnering with responsible corporations, with the responsible organizations, and with ethical uh, governments and things like that so that we can build the trust that will be informed by products that are inclusive by design with standards that are not fragmented but shared standards that allow cross-border activity. That, in my opinion, and I think on behalf of MasterCard, would result in a huge growth opportunity for the continent and a way to unlock the potential of all the work that you gentlemen have described here. So thank you again for including us and thank you for coming and please do Enjoy the breakfast. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Um, back to Secretary General, there was a specific question about uh, how you are going to use this week, you know, the talk to investors, where you're hoping to get it in the Well, if I may start with the question on, on uh, the support that, that we provide to uh, uh, manufacturers and producers on the continent, I think the minister, I wanted the honorable minister to speak first because he's a an elected, uh, a senior elected member of government and so can speak authoritatively. The, there are two uh, examples in my mind that absolutely underscore the point that we have to support manufacturing, industrialization and innovation on our continent. One is uh, what uh, the Honorable Minister referred to and that is the food insecurity crisis. The continent is a net food importer. Uh, and yet, if you go to Zambia, uh, Zimbabwe, Malawi, you will find excess grains. So the rules of origin that we are crafting must support local production, local processing, value addition, whether we are talking about uh, agriculture, the automotive sector, pharmaceuticals, and a range of, of other sectors. The second example, which also is equally worrying, 2019, we imported, and I think I mentioned this, this in our last conversation, the continent in 2019 imported 19 billion, $16 billion 
worth of uh, pharmaceutical products. The bulk of those pharmaceutical products, what is required to make them, is taken from Africa. Uh, and so the, the rules of origin uh, or the local content requirements must support local production, processing, and manufacturing. And that's why um, the, the, uh, the African Union and ourselves as a secretariat uh, with uh, the, the, the governments, the 45 uh, countries that have ratified the agreement, are very, very strong advocates of um, AFCFTA-produced products. That is to say, your uh, goods that are produced, if they meet uh, the rules of origin or the local content rules, and by local content, I mean AFCFTA, the entire market. So you can produce in Nigeria and export to Mozambique at, manuf at uh, uh, preferential rates, uh, and vice versa. So this is really very, very important, uh, um, an important aspect of trying to create a market, an integrated market. And so if we do not support the production that is locally made, uh, processing, whether it is coffee, whether it is the auto sector, uh, we will not uh, uh, see the, the results that we want to see. On the conversations during the course of the week, the, the number one question, of course, is, is this thing going to work? Uh, that's, that's the number one question. Is it going to work? Uh, do you have the political will to get it done? Is it just a big uh, diplomatic exercise? Uh, are there protections for investors? Uh, and of course, we, we have protections for investors for the very first time. We now have a, um, uh, a, a, an infrastructure, uh, a system for resolution of trade and investment disputes, um, the dispute settlement mechanism, uh, which uh, uh, will uh, provide enhanced continental protection, legal protections for investors. Of course, it is, it is very, very early stages. Uh, but we have looked at what has worked around the world. We had looked at what has worked in Africa, what has not worked in Africa, and we've created this system of uh, protection for investors. I, I would say that I, I would say that I do get a sense, and, and this could be because of, of our history, I do get a sense that, there, that some investors are, are apprehensive about uh, the AFCFTA, they, they, they think it is political talk. And I, I always say to them, um, who was apprehensive about the EU in 1947? Uh, five, six countries at that time, coming out of the Second World War. Uh, so there will be a long uh, a period of um, running around the track, establishing the rules, building confidence, of, of our uh, people in the system that we are creating. It's not going to happen overnight, but we certainly have to start somewhere. Uh, and I think we've, we've, we've made a very, very good start with the AFCFTA. We even get the odd one that gets cold feet and leaves, but you know, it carries on. Um, right, thank you very much. Um, we've got another 10 minutes. I just want to check if there is an, uh, any other question or comment, otherwise I'll come to you, Dominique. Yes, please, uh, there's a mic coming. Um, thank you. My name is Suta. I head up research at Laurel Strategies, a CEO advisory firm based in DC. And one of my questions, piggybacking on the last question, is um, we've talked a lot about the importance of regional integration. Um, and 
on, on the question before, you know, what are some of the pathways that you see um, for global investors to see some of the biggest trends and opportunities as well as strategies for investing in Africa and creating local value chains? Thank you very much. Anyone else? No. Um, do you want to start with that? And then we'll do one last round answering um, these questions and any other final remark. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, the, the pathways of understanding what to invest in Africa, for any investor, they have to get on the ground. They have to see the reality of the situation and understand the challenges as well as the opportunities. Um, when I first invested in Ethiopia, I rarely, if ever, saw any of the other investors within country. They'd fly in, stay in a very nice hotel, sign a contract and fly out. And a year later, they weren't making money, but we were. And that's because we engaged with the communities. We, we, we understood the needs. I had had the privilege of living in Uganda when I was uh, in my early 20s and started to understand <coughs> the nuances um, and the community needs far better than those that landed on a runway, private runway, to get to Hawassa when I was first working there. It was a dirt strip and you'd go and stay at the Haley Selassie. And I remember the second time I visited, I saw a number of people standing outside. Um, uh, a sh it, it looked like a shelter, but it was actually a Mother Teresa house. There was three, four hundred women there queuing up for food. And I went to see the, 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 the mother, I think you'd call it, the sisters, um, that were running it. And I said, can you talk me through about some of the challenges you have here? And they said, most of these girls are victims of domestic violence or sexual abuse, or they've been kicked out of their families. Uh, and some are here because of uh, TB and various other conditions. And I said, well, do any of the girls have jobs? And one of the biggest challenges in the garment industry is attracting talent and retaining talent. And they said, no, no one will employ these women. And I said, well, I'll employ them. Um, I'll start training them today. They get paid to be trained. And a number of them had children with them. And I said to the sisters, we'll, sh we'll split the shifts so that other women can look after each other's children. Anyway, we, re we recruited four or 500 people in that process um, and recruited some of the best staff that I've ever come across in, uh, in Africa. And those staff are still within the facilities. But most investors are having consistent high levels of turnover because they haven't gone and touched and felt the situation on the ground. And, it's, of course, there's a number of theses that you can study, and there are a lot of mistakes made by investment promotion authorities who often show you the opportunities but not the challenges. When we turned up, we were told it was 4G. A satellite phone didn't even work. I don't mind that, but just tell me in advance before I send staff about satellite phones that we can't contact for a month. But you don't realise this until you're on the ground. So, there, the, of course, there are much more formal pathways, but my personal experience and why I've been able to have successes on the ground is by being on the ground, being involved, and committing that time uh, and effort to understanding. And there you start to see the real opportunities. Thanks, Dominique. Secretary General. Well, thank you. I, I think the, uh, Dominique has spoken about from a, a, an investor's point of view. But I, I would speak from a rules uh, point of view and what the law uh, that we are putting forward, uh, the value proposition that the law uh, presents, from, I, I, I would suggest that the starting point would be to look at an anchor market 
within the AFCFTA um, to uh, establish a, a market, a commercially meaningful market presence uh, in that um, particular jurisdiction to then expand to the rest of uh, the, the continent or the region because the AFCFTA enables you to have the benefit of the entire market, uh, 45 countries. And so commercial presence, meaningful commercial presence is a starting point, whether it is in financial services, in manufacturing, and then of course to identify specific sectors. Uh, we as the Secretariat, with the help of the MasterCard Foundation, have identified priority sectors, agro-processing, agriculture, the automotive sector, pharmaceuticals, transport and logistics. And all of these, uh, when you look at them on the face of it, all of these sectors present challenges. But actually, Africa's challenges are Africa's opportunities. In financial services, for example, uh, we have countries on the continent that are in need of uh, fintech uh, investment. Uh, countries where um, uh, the transactions are still uh, done uh, by hand, manually, on a ledger book. And so you can see the opportunity to scale investment in, in a market of that nature, uh, over 100 million people in that market. And so the opportunities, the limit is the sky. Similarly, in the automotive sector, uh, in the components, uh, manufacturing, there are opportunities there outside to the point that the Honorable Minister made. Besides Morocco and South Africa, uh, there are opportunities for investment in, um, in agriculture, in, 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 uh, in this case in the automotive sector, but agriculture is an agro-processing, um, is an, an incredible opportunity given the geopolitical context and given the fact that um, the continent of Africa has the productive capacity to feed itself, what we require is the investment in the technology uh, to enable the food production uh, to happen. Uh, and so I think what we are seeing with Russia and Ukraine, yes, it is a crisis. Yes, it has caused inflationary pressures on food in Africa, but it is an opportunity for Africa, uh, for us to feed ourselves, to produce for ourselves, uh, and to make sure that we have food security. Thank you. Thank you very much. Honorable Minister. Uh, just quickly, I think um, um, much of it has been ably explained by my Secretary General. I just want to agree with uh, what uh, Dominic has said. If you remember in my earlier remarks, I talked about culture. To agree more with him, you know, you can set up the same business that is thriving in a certain jurisdiction by another company, but yours fell. He talked about understanding the people there, low turnover, while others didn't succeed. It's about understanding particular cultures in certain jurisdictions, whether you like it or not. However smart you may be with your business or business arguments you may have, you first have to understand who are these people I'm dealing with. What kind of product, how do I market the same product that I marketed in Europe or South America in this region? The moment you understand that, then you're good to go. Because I have seen European and American companies, others find it difficult to succeed in African markets because the African customers and workforce have a different cultural background and work ethics that the host country is offering to the investors. 
The moment you develop the attitude that he just, Dominic just talked about, then you're good to go. Understanding the culture of the people and the business system that is in a place. I'll give you a very practical example. Somebody was selling, uh, um, uh, some company had a very, very uh, a brilliant uh, marketing executive. He had succeeded everywhere else, but he went into this jurisdiction. We had to put in some um, pictorial diagrams of some guy running in the desert, then he collapses. It, it, it's, it's all over. So this drink he was marketing was trying to depict that you can be in a desert, you collapse. Once they just give a tip of it on your tongue, you'll be up and running. But he didn't realize that in that country, they write from the left or read things from the left, from the right going to the left. Because he had always used from left like we always do it. So in that country, it was saying, you may be strong, but you take this drink, you'll collapse and faint. <laughs> so nobody was buying that drink anymore. Anyway. He never understood the culture of those people. So I think uh, Dominic Ebley uh, elaborated on this one. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, gentlemen, and of course, Shamina, for getting us off to, I think, an incredibly energizing start for our um, Davos week. I personally got a very tangible sense of you know, the opportunities that um, Africa presents, and I hope all the investors in the room will be inspired to come and explore them in, in more detail. Um, I talked about the report that Matthew did as well, that the forum is launching tomorrow. That will give you an even deeper sense as investors of you know, what other business feel and think about the opportunities, that particularly the agreement, uh, the free trade agreement is unlocking for the continent. Now is the time to make those opportunities come to reality. It's, you know, it, as Dominique and others have said, it's a prime time to um, make sure that we turn these opportunities into reality. Um, the rewards will be plentiful. Uh, thank you so much. I wish everyone a great Davos week. Wrap up warm, it's cold out there. Um, thank you for coming today. <laughs>